You're listening to the Gridiron Growl Podcast from ChopTalk.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 46 of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist, along with lead man in charge, at Chop Talk, Brian Fox Jr. And joining us also today is Ryan Haley over at Chop Talk as well. And Graham Hall is joining us here from the Gainesville Sun as well. And a uh, big recruiting week and weekend in the books, but a huge recruiting month is still in the works for Florida. A lot of buzz was generated, just not between the recruits in person, but a lot of the recruits on Twitter and social media between a bunch of elite prospects. Uh, Graham, since you're here with us, Give us your takes on this week, and what have you been hearing, and what's the buzz like, man? Yeah, it doesn't take, uh, <clears throat> you know, it takes a lot to make these guys a little bit anxious, but the past 16 months, a lot of guys were uncomfortable around the country um, not being able to do what they love, and that's recruiting, selling the program, selling themselves as leaders of young men, people that you can trust with the program. And that's become even harder as we know with the transfer portal, but we're not really getting into all that here. This was a big moment for coaches all around the country. I'm talking about last Tuesday when the moratorium was lifted, the dead period was finally over where after what it felt like three years, but I think it was only 15 months where the NCA finally said that prospects can return to campus, that camps, can open back up. You can have instruction. You can really have everything in the off season that we were used to having in full return. And everyone took advantage of that. That really kind of led to, I'm going to go ahead and use the term bloodbath. Really a lot of competition around the country in landing some top prospects, just getting them on campus for this first weekend. It kind of was like that final weekend uh, of January that you're used to seeing in my mind where everyone is kind of looking who's going to go where you had people deciding two months out since this decision became official about where they would book their trips and who they would show up with and, and where they would go first. And you already saw a lot of people fill out their whole schedule of official visits, but I'll get to that in a second here. The camps on Tuesday were huge for programs like Florida um, and other programs around the state of Florida as well. We, we got to note the competition got a little bit more competitive uh, down there in Orlando with Gus Malzahn. And he, I got to mention that because Florida's after prospects from Winter Park, prospects from Tampa, that, you know, Malzahn thinks that he is going to have a chance in landing as well, obviously with Manny Diaz and, and Mike Norvell having a shot there too. So this was a big weekend for Florida to see where they stood with a lot of prospects. They knew that, they could get guys to campus who had ties with some of their six commits, especially with Nick Evers, the ties that he had with the wide receivers, with Bond, with Gibson, with getting them to campus. We knew that that'd be big, but you look around at who else they were able to get on campus uh, for visits. Um, Walter Nolan, the five-star prospect uh, out of St. Benedict. I mean, this is a guy that, uh, you know, Florida fans I think are having to hold back from getting a little bit too excited coming out of the week because he, he kind of indicated a decision was coming fairly soon right after coming out of a visit from Florida. I mean, anytime that happens for any prospect when they come out of a visit and then say, Hey, announcement or shutting it down. I mean, that fan base generally has a little 
bit of reason to get excited. And, and that's what Florida fans are, are feeling right now, even though the UF hasn't landed any commitments, at least publicly right now, coming out of the weekend. So all in all, you know, I, we're going to get into it a little bit more here in depth, but it's still going on right now where you're having prospects on campus getting instruction from coaches, from current players, from former players, even as we've seen here under the Dan Mullen era. And, you know, just the general consensus is a huge sigh of relief that you're seeing people in person again, meeting families, meeting the parents, meeting prospective 14, 15, 16 year olds that are going to be, you know, offering a scholarship to if everything pans out right here in the near future. This was a welcome return here and uh by all accounts so far florida has made the most of it hey graham on the flip side of that i think there's a at least a decent segment of the fan base that's kind of like wait we didn't land a single person out of this monster weekend of 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 recruits coming in you know that seems like a point of concern uh to, to some extent uh what are your thoughts on that uh you know should we be happy that florida didn't come out of there with one of those maybe high three stars that you normally see uh at this time or is this a sign that maybe florida's like you know we're we're, we're going to go more after some of these higher rated guys and we're not just going to offer any anybody that shows up yeah this is what 90 percent, more than 90 percent of programs deal with is hosting kids and then you don't get an answer right away or you have to wait weeks upon weeks and keep at it. Uh, and it's hard not to feel insecure about your odds with a prospect when they don't immediately want to give you an answer. They want to see what Georgia has to offer or Clemson or, you know, a rival of yours that can definitely be disconcerting for a fan base. And obviously for coaches, it can, it can cause them to move on from a prospect if they think that they have no shot, if they're looking at other bigger programs or, just waiting it very, very a long time after their visit, you know, and that can just give programs pause and, and because naturally there's a lot of concern there. I don't totally buy that when it comes to this weekend, because as I just said, this was such an overdue return that I don't think anyone coaches or players were looking to necessarily rush back into any decision. If you wanted to commit to any program, you could have done it before now. But now that you can take your five visits, go anywhere you want, theoretically, that has interest in you, why would you shut it down after not even a week of the process being open? You know, that's not good judgment in my mind, unless you're totally 100% wowed and you really follow through and don't take any more visits. I don't think that anyone right now... And not, I'm not trying to scold anyone for committing right away. I'm just not saying it's necessarily indicative of whether a program did a good job recruiting someone or not, or whether you'll necessarily land that prospect by the end of the summer. I mean, <clears throat> I think that you look at the official visit slates, you're going to see a lot of kids take their official visits extremely early and then decide by the end of the summer that's going to be Florida here. I think with some of the 13 official visitors that they just had on campus, they're going to continue recruiting them. And just because they're going to go elsewhere, doesn't mean necessarily that they lost them by any regard. And, and as long as the staff stays on them, I think that you're going to have a really good chance of pulling a lot of these kids here in the class. Uh, but I always understand why there's some concern naturally when you, you look like you struck out coming out of a big weekend 
because it's happened in the past and sometimes it is cause for concern, but I, I just don't think it is right now necessarily just because of the circumstances, because of how eager everyone was to return. And now that they have a chance to tour campuses again, it's kind of like attendance. It's kind of like everything in the pandemic. You never knew what you had until it's gone until it's, you realized how fickle it is. Now you want to make the most of it. And I think you're going to see a lot of prospects use all five official visits before they really commit because, uh, I think that you're just seeing a lot of people re- realize that they want to make that, that best decision before uh, they head to campus and end up in the transfer portal or, or something. Because now that recruiting was taken away from you from a year and a half, you're going to have so many people realize that they're going to have to make the most of this decision because a whole class just didn't even get the opportunity you're getting right now. Yeah. And I had a conversation with a lot of fans on, on Twitter and social media about that. It's it for you to commit just, having one visit and you haven't had visits for a whole year, it's, it's kind of hard to do. I mean, you, you couldn't take visits last year or anything else like that. And, you know, we get a little bit of PTSD as fans, especially with no commitments that coming out of this week. And, and they're, they're going to have a whole month of visitors coming this whole month. But, you know, the, the PTSD of last year with Tumisi Adelier and Terry and Arnold and Xavier Sori, you know, those were kids that wanted to come to the University of Florida. They were elite recruits, every single one of them. Tunisia Dahlia goes to Ohio State, Xavier Sori goes to Georgia, and Terry Aaron Arnold, which you could have had at the end of the cycle, goes to Alabama because you didn't offer him. So a lot of these fans now are, are kind of just on edge with, with not getting any kind of commitment, especially after the whole Walter Nolan uh, fiasco there and him shutting it down. It, nobody really gets their hopes up anymore. Me personally, I think this is the first year that I think we've had this much buzz coming out of a recruiting week. I mean... You had players out there trying to recruit for us. You had recruits like Nick Evers trying to recruit for us. And you had a lot of buzz from a lot of these elite recruits talking about Florida and how they develop people. And I kind of, in my mind, just as a fan, I got good vibes from this week. I'm not too upset that we didn't get a commitment because uh, I guess a lot of the fans just aren't, you know, they're, like I said, we all have PTSD. So I, I don't think that we were too non excited that we didn't get any commits, but, uh, I don't know. Who knows, man? I, I, Dave, I, I don't know what your opinion is. I know what your opinion is, Brian, but if we have Ryan Haley on here with us, I want to get his opinion. What does he think about was, this whole week? I was going to say, I am. Uh, I'm, when it comes to uh, commitment and recruiting, I'm a little out of my depth compared to you guys. I've been a little bit out of the loop. But um, I was going to say, like to tag on to what you said, the biggest thing I took away from this weekend that isn't necessarily to do with who was in town and who could commit or not. But the thing, I, and maybe this is just my own, like what I've been exposed to in the past. It feels like this is the year that I've seen the most like players recruiting other players. Yep. Like Gervon Dexter was all over Twitter. Uh, Ewers was on Twitter. Like all these like recruits and guys that are in the program now are going to be in the program. Like this is the first year that I've seen them really pitching UF hard to like the other people. Cause I mean, that's, Something that's, I don't want to say it's been lacking, but I think this year kind of realized like, oh, this hasn't been there in the past. Like there's right. never been this buzz from guys that are like. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, like I agree. Yeah. There's the, the buzz is a lot different. There's like uh, you had Zachary Carter on Twitter. You had Gervon Dexter. You had Desmond Watson, a bunch of these players, you know, talking about Florida, how they develop people and then trying to get all these players on board with their retweets and retweeting everything. I've never seen that before. 
And I know, Brian, you had something to say earlier. Um, well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the buzz. What are they going to do with it? Next week, if those 13 guys that were on campus this weekend go to, F- go to FSU or they go to UGA or somewhere and we hear about the buzz up there, you know, what's that going to do to the feeling here in Gainesville amongst Gator fans? I, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm kind of in that, that majority, minority, whatever you want to call it, that thinks that Florida kind of struck out not getting a single commitment. Uh, another guy to basically cheerlead for them, kind of like what Nick Evers has done. Um, but I, I also, I get it. And to Graham's point, 100%, I understand these guys going on every visit that they can. If I was an elite athlete, I would do the exact same thing. In fact, I would pick where I wanted to visit based on the cool stuff in that area. We would definitely be going to Tulane, even though I had no interest in going there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, some of these different areas. But I, And I get that. But this still just feels like Florida couldn't pull a single guy out of here. We've heard good things about this program. These guys, you, you mentioned to me, say, last year, he had a lot of positive things to say about the program. And yet – we never got, you never even got close to his commitment, in my opinion. Uh, and so that's just, I mean, that's kind of where I leave it anyway. Yeah, I think this time of year it can be a little bit tricky because if a kid is ready to pull the trigger to your school <clears throat> right now, coming off the first visit, doesn't that give you a little bit of a pause and be like, hey, you know, do they think that this is the best they're going to do? They're not going to get the Alabama, Georgia interest not, you know, use that as negotiating down the line or see what can happen. I mean, if I'm a, if I'm someone, I'm, I'm going to want a prospect who is going to be, knows how good they are and they're confident and they see you as a top school, but also want to see how, how the other top schools look like right now. And, and as a coach, I, I think that necessarily you, you don't, you, you want to be confident that, the prospects that you're bringing to campus are going to still think about you in a couple months. You can't be worried about, Hey, are they going to forget about this entire visit when they go to Athens, when they go to Tuscaloosa? No, you, you can't be thinking like that. <clears throat> if you are a confident recruiter, you have to consistently think about what your pitch is, knowing what your abilities are. You're going to stay in contact with the kid and hope that that pays off here. Um, you know, you mentioned that it's hard not to get, you know, get the PTSD as a Florida fan. And uh, so often in recruiting, you spend 365 days comparing yourself to the other, what in this case, six programs in the state of Florida and whether they're doing better than you, um, even though you're only going to play those guys once a year, if that, I got, I just got to say, you know, let's do that comparison. Miami and FSU didn't land anyone coming out of this weekend. Miami only has two commitments. I got to add, though, that one of them is my guy in Quan Lee um, out of Buholtz, <clears throat> who committed last week right before everything opened back up. But it's only him and Ja'Curry Brown. Then you look at FSU. I mean, they pulled out the tricycle and, and have lost several prospects over the past few days. I mean, they did really well initially. I, I like guys like Sam McCall, but – you know, eight guys in that class that has taken only hits since the recruiting period opened back up. So, you know, would you rather be the program that's taken hits uh, or had no momentum or had five five-star prospects on campus this past weekend? You know, I, I think I know the answer. And this staff has shown 
that they've done a very good job closing prospects when it's not the month of December and January. I hate adding that caveat because this is the healthy time where you can be patient. You can wait for things to unfold, but what you don't want to do is do what Florida did last year. Waver. It looks like on your plan several times uh, and change your mind and pass on kids because you think you have a chance at, at another prospect. You don't want to be in that situation down the line here. So it's too early to panic in my mind whatsoever. And that comes to even getting kids to commit after the very first weekend in June. I thought, and this is not a shot at, at you, Brian, or anyone out there whatsoever, but I thought a few years ago that one of the positives of the craziness of the transfer portal is it would maybe make people calm down a little bit when it came down to these decisions of 17-year-olds because you saw that it no longer was life or death. That running back in your backyard may not spend the next four years at your rival beating you up, rushing for 3,000 yards. And same thing, that quarterback that you sign may leave after a year. So I thought it would make people just care a little bit less and care maybe more about the development and the in-season aspect because that ultimately is what's going to play the biggest hand in both the transfer portal and when it comes to recruiting. Graham, you say that scaring scares the hell out of me uh, because this is the only thing we've got to cover right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's absolutely meaningful. You know, I'm not saying it isn't because because you don't you don't land any of the kids that Florida wants to land by starting to recruit them in July or even today. I mean, these kids, all of these guys, Walter Nolan, uh, Booker, Gibson, Bond. I mean, all these guys were have been. Com- receiving texts from Florida staff daily for the last 18 months and beyond. And there was interest before that. And they've been watching their film and talking with them and building those relationships over the phone. And they're going to continue doing that because guys like Nolan, who's, you know, the number, the top uncommitted prospect in the nation for the current class, there's no reason for him to rush into any commitment. And that's why I think that, as I mentioned, when we started the show, there was a little bit of, you know, can we believe this is happening when Walter Nolan indicated that he was going to shut his recruitment down fairly soon with some top visits lined up on the horizon. So, you know, I thought that alone and the other momentum coming out, all the other prospects saying that they are going to reschedule visits, that they'll be back on their own dime fairly soon. They'll be back during the season and they had an amazing time. That's usually all you can really ask for in my mind when it comes to June. I mean, talk to me though in six weeks, if Florida comes out of Friday night lights with no commitments, then I I definitely will agree with you that there's a little bit more reason to be concerned. Um, But right now everyone's just wading back into the water here after uh, being on land and beached for 18 months. Yeah, no, Dave Waters had brought up a good point to me when we were talking in the uh, Gators Breakdown chat, Discord chat, if you're one of those uh, elite members that they have over there. He said that this is the first time that Tim Brewster has had, like, a full on contact with these kids ever since the pandemic and everything. And and Wesley McGriff, uh, I know Kamari Wilson had a lot of great things to say about Wesley McGriff. He, He, you know, he loves Wesley McGriff. And this was a guy you didn't have last year. And you got... Jules Montanar and other staff, the younger staff that are there on that staff. And now, you know, obviously with 
everybody visiting in, in, in person, it's changed a lot. Uh, and this could be, and, and I'm hoping in my brain, this could be the turning point for Florida's recruiting. Hopefully, and I'm crossing my fingers, but I mean, yeah, it, it changes a lot. And a lot of these kids are going to want to take all of their visits. They're not, especially when you're an elite recruit, you know, you've got schools just coming at you with, with offers and, and especially with the new rule that, you know, you can, your name, image, and likeness with Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, it's going to be a lot of those schools more than it is going to be any of the other schools just because, I mean, the name, image, and likeness rule, and I'm sure a lot of them will jump more on board, but yeah, it, the, the thing about it is you just got to wait. It's, it's a wait and see thing. Uh, sometimes it doesn't happen early and it happens later, but like you said, if they reschedule and they visit unofficially on their own dime, that's huge. And uh, I know a lot of kids were talking about going to that Alabama-Florida game and sitting in that environment. So, yeah, hopefully that game – I'm pretty sure that game's going to sell out anyway. Yeah, I, I would be shocked if, if it doesn't here, honestly. Um, you know, this was a big weekend for Florida. It's going to be a, a big next six weeks for this team moving forward. Um, uh, you, you mentioned some of these other guys that were on campus – I mean, you talk about coaches that haven't had a chance to recruit on University of Florida campus, Brewster, Montanar. I mean, they have some they have some weight on their shoulders, absolutely, here moving forward. I mean, everyone wants to see what Florida does next when it comes to replacing Kyle Pitts. Obviously, no one knows that more than Keon Zipperer and the other tight ends that they added as freshmen this past year. But when it comes to the recruiting trail, I mean, you have to find a very delicate balance for discussing Kyle Pitts all the time while also not chasing kids away with the weight of the world on, on his shoulders. Um, you know, and when it comes to Jules Montanar, obviously uh, Florida needs to land some top DBs in this class. Uh, you know, they had a, a few on campus. You mentioned Kamari Wilson. That's a guy that, you know, no doubt about him. He's going to have every program coming after him until the end of this entire cycle. We'll end up, we'll have to end up seeing what he does. Um, you know, one that we didn't mention here. Uh, I, I really think that Billy Gonzalez, it's a big cycle for him as well. You saw the three big wide receivers on campus in Gibson and bond and Williams, Gentry Williams, the, the five-star athlete out of uh, Tulsa, um, LSU, Oklahoma, USC, all think they have a really good shot. Um, uh, Florida just gave, went the, made the run at him. We'll see if that's enough. Um, you know, good relationship with Nick Evers. Uh, but, you know, that's a really, I think, a big position for Florida to hit in this class. I didn't think that they did a good job addressing the slot this past class. And so getting maybe one, two guys that can play inside um, uh, at inside pass catcher for this team next season – um, or moving forward, excuse me, um, is going to be huge to see uh, how that all shakes out. I, I really think that they got to hit that um, there. One more I got to mention, you know, um, the Melbourne uh, DT Jamari Lions. We, you know, I think you got to give Coach Turner a whole lot of credit. If you had, were to ask me who has been the best recruiter on this staff for the past couple years, I would probably say David Turner. Um, although Tim Brewster looks like he's been, you know, giving him a run for his money as of late, but, you know, Turner has just n nailed it in my mind and, and in the transfer portal as well, you know, getting Brendan Cox and several other guys. Um, but now if really you could say 
definitively anyone that Florida is leading for coming out of this weekend. It, it's the Melbourne defensive tackle, Jamari Lyons. Uh, you know, I, I think that they have a really good shot at, at landing him. Florida gave him the full rush this weekend. I mean, this is a guy that, again, similar to everyone that I've just mentioned, is going to have all these prospects coming after him. I mean, he's a top 30 defensive lineman in this class. Miami's offered. So we'll see what ends up happening here. But uh, a great start for Florida coming out of the gate, if you ask me. Um, but if, in the next couple of weeks, they are going to need to land with some commitments because if not, it's going to be hard for them to continue to build interest and build on the momentum that they've already established because um, people will start asking the question, why haven't they closed? Why haven't they landed more prospects? Yeah, and a lot of other prospects do see that. They do pay attention to that. Another position, uh, I know you mentioned uh, the wide receiver. Evan Stewart was there, I believe, too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was there. The five-star wide receiver, Evan Stewart, was there on campus this weekend. You know, that's a big one. Um, We'll have to see uh, if Florida has a really good shot with him. You know, I would would be surprised. Um, But, you know, blazing speed, it's going to be – it's going to take a lot to get him to leave the state of Texas. I know that um, both TAMU and Texas think that they have a really good shot uh, of keeping Evan Stewart in, in the state there. Um, but, you know, that relationship with Nick Evers certainly could could play a part in getting him to campus. We always know that quarterbacks like to pick and choose their pass catchers and uh, vice versa. You want that familiarity there because it seems to give you something to work for. Um, it makes it just easier to – to, to develop here. So, um, yeah, he was one of the 13 that Florida had for an official visit. Um, he's, he's going to take one more here, but he's not like everyone else who has already lined up all these full list of official visits and was doing it. You know, right now it just looks like, uh, USC is going to be the big one for him. Um, although as I mentioned, you know, Texas TAMU has been hitting him up and, and then obviously Alabama and LSU have been hitting up Stewart a lot. So if Florida can end up, um, hauling him in, reeling him in there, that would be huge. Um, you know, I hate to really throw this out there because, you know, some people will say that this is rat poison, but when it comes to landing wide receivers in this class, I wonder if this coaching staff would have a better chance before the season started when you're coming off of selling the record-setting passing numbers yeah, that Florida had last year with Kyle Trask. You know, I, I'm not saying that that Emory Jones is going to fall short or whatsoever. I just do think there's a good chance that the that the offense is just more balanced next year. And right now, you have that advantage of saying, "Look at what records Kyle Trask just set." I mean, look what we just had a, two guys drafted who who caught the ball um, from Kyle Trask within the top 20 picks. Uh, you know, these are selling points that you can use right now and may not be a case next year, although we have seen some mock drafts with, with Emory Jones there in the first round. So I'm just saying that when it comes to landing wide receivers, tight ends, I know that we thought that they had a good chance with Jaleel Skinner. Um, oh, but God. when it comes to landing <laughs> pass catchers, uh, you would think that right now Florida has all the tools at their disposal to uh, sell kids on why they're going to be successful here in Gainesville. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Jaleel Skinner because a lot of that was a heavy Florida lean, and now obviously you see the crystal balls rolling in for Florida State, and you know, especially after putting somebody and giving a Mackey Award to a tight end named Kyle Pitts, and him being the uh, first ever draft pick that's been picked. I think it was fourth 
he was picked in the draft, the first ever tight end to get drafted that high in the NFL draft. You should be able to pull any kind of elite tight end that you want to the University of Florida. But, <laughs> I mean, that's... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. I was kind of surprised by that as well. I, I got to say, I mean, I would still be surprised if... Um, Jaleel Skinner signs with Florida State. You know, yeah. I, I'm not necessarily panking on this massive resurgence in Tallahassee this year that is going to lead all these prospects to want to um, put pen to paper there. But I, I do think that um, that you know there's a good chance that he commits there before uh, the season begins. Being a South Carolina guy and all. Uh, if Clemson wants him, in my mind, if Clemson comes calling, I mean, he's he's picking up the phone and going um, to Clemson. In my mind, yeah. uh, that's one to watch, though certainly. But um, I wouldn't rule out Florida whatsoever. I, I know that a lot of people um, thought that this was someone that Florida really had a good chance at landing. It certainly looked like that in, in what February coming yeah. out of signing day where Florida had a lot of momentum when it came to him. I don't know if he really knows what he wants to do yet either. FSU felt good, just like Florida felt good. Obviously now the difference is that they've talked to him in person face to face, but this is one to watch here. I, I my guts for some reason still tells me Clemson. Um, we'll have to see though here, but there's some other options at tight end, uh, that, that, that Florida can look at. And, you know, there's some people that say that, that Skinner may not even end up playing tight end at the next level. So um, it's recruiting. You can't fall in love with one prospect uh, because you yeah. get your heart broken more times than you can bear. Yeah, and, and one more position I wanted to cover in this class, and I know uh, Brenton Cox and Zachary Carter, they're probably going to be gone after this year, uh, I'm, I'm assuming. And the, this class is very defensive line heavy. I mean, you've got – what is it, seven prospects that are five stars in this class that are defensive linemen, and one of them just decommitted from Georgia, Bear Alexander. And we, I know we were talking about Walter Nolan. Um, you know, with all these defensive linemen that are in this class, Florida, two of them are from the state of Florida. And if Florida loses these two defensive linemen, of course you're still going to have Gervon Dexter and all those other guys that, that obviously you recruited. Does Florida need to land at least one of these high five-star guys? Yeah, I, I want to say yeah. I think that David Turner has done a good enough job that I'm not, you know, it's not like a situation where you, you're saying, oh, well, you know, he's got to land a running back this cycle like Greg yeah. Cox. I think that he's afforded himself <clears throat> the opportunity to, you know, shoot for, you know, the moon and settle on the stars, whatever the phrase is. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that there's enough that Florida's in the mix for that, you'd be happy with him. I mean, look at Jihad Campbell. Are Florida fans really going to be upset if the Gators sign, sign a top 100 defense alignment from IMG Academy? I mean, come on, that's a win right. in and of itself because of the boost of reestablishing some lines there. I mean, that's huge. I mean, look at another one, Chris McClellan. He, he's top 100. I mean, if you can convince that guy to come out of Oklahoma when the, the all the programs in that area, Texas A&M as well, are all after him. I mean, Florida already got his first official visit. I mean, if you can get any of these top 100 guys in my mind, I don't think anyone should be really necessarily disappointed, but that's the danger of developing unrealistic expectations this early with a guy like Walter Nolan. If you come out of this weekend reading into that tweet being like, Oh, we're getting Walter Nolan. 
you are going to be absolutely disappointed because there's no guarantees, especially this early in recruiting, but especially with a prospect like that, that highly ranked. I mean, think of all the scenarios that we've seen as of late with top five prospects. They're going to get interest until the very end from all the programs, and it's going to change based on the season. So if you are banking on getting any commitments right now, and this is, you know, not to preach or anything, but this is something the Florida fans just know. Right now, what you really want is to land guys who are top 100, maybe outside highly ranked four stars, who are then going to work their way up into that five-star higher range that we've seen so often happen. And then other teams come calling later once they have the recruiting stars backing them, but you've already landed their commitment if I'm Florida right now, I'm I'm more concerned with landing guys like Campbell and McClellan because they're realistic lands, I think, at this point in time, and guys you can hold on to, whereas a guy like Nolan, I mean, no shot at him, but he's earned he's earned the privilege of debating his decision until the very end and, and yeah. considering all options, as as does every, you know, five star prospect, top ranked prospect. And so banking on those guys right now and, and saying landing them or not is, is a win or lose. You know, I can understand getting too high about it when you land them, but you, you then are going to spend so much time being anxious about keeping them. I mean, is it even worth it necessarily uh, in the off season to be fretting about that? I, I don't know because if you have a defensive tackle in the fold this early, especially a highly recruited guy like that, doesn't that kind of hurt your odds with some of these other ones, knowing that you need to land maybe two inside nose tackle guys, inside defensive tackle type guys? If you already have one locked up, I mean, that may sway some other guys to not consider you because they don't want to play second fiddle. You, you don't necessarily always want that guarantee this early because uh, sometimes that can be used against you in negative recruiting. I mean, a guy goes somewhere else to another program and they say, well, they already have – so and so and so do you really want to be the backup to him do you want to go in or you could be the guy here i mean that's that happens every single day in recruiting um you know they're going to knock you when you're down they're going to knock you when you're up and you just have to keep on moving well yeah that's what the transfer portal is for now (laughs) (laughs) hey while we're on the subject of the transfer portal with it being as popular as it is and with now players having that right to a free transfer without having to sit out. Should you essentially, do you think uh, it would be wise of college coaches to essentially just take the best player available when it comes to recruiting rather than to go by needs? Cause every year we talk about what are this team's needs? What are these needs? Well, you can address those needs in the transfer portal now and get immediate return on your investment. Uh, so what are your thoughts, I guess, on that Graham? Yeah, it's a good point uh, to consider. It's a good philosophy. I think that if you if you're looking at your needs, that's something that is always going to be in the forefront of every coach's mind, and it's always going to be difficult to not recruit based on your needs because that kind of is like the board game. That is kind of like the map, so to speak, that, that shows you where you have to go in the direction you have to go. So it's kind of like not the NBA or the NFL draft where you can just pick the best player available to you. You you really have to, I think, go based off needs and you have to be okay with 
if you miss on a prospect that you need, then later making up for it in the transfer portal, which is such a change in mindset for coaches who obsess over winning. And, you know, there's 15 wins in the regular season, but there's 25 wins and counting when it comes to recruiting. And that's how these coaches so long have looked at it as a victory and you look forward to those victories. And it's like asking someone to not play two thirds of their game, so to speak, because they can be quickly nullified in the end or, or you have to keep recruiting them. You don't get that celebration, so to speak at the end of it, because you then have to worry about playing time and keeping them happy and so many other things here. If I am a coach, my biggest concern right now is comfortability. How comfortable am I with the player's personality, with their family, with how comfortable they feel? I mean, if they get to campus and they are missing home, I mean, that's not just a situation where you can say, hey, suck it up. You know, you're going to now feasibly lose that kid if you don't help solve this problem of helping them adjust to campus. Whereas in in the past, before the transfer portal, it was, well, you know, you're here now. You better get used to it. And it's just an entirely different philosophy now that so many people have struggled to adjust. And you're only just now seeing how it's going to change recruiting philosophy. I think that ultimately you're going to have people just going back to what I just said, comfortability, how well they think that they can trust that the kid they're signing is, is making the right decision, wants to be there, is signing for the right reasons, not because the co- one coach told him something, that he likes another teammate going there, um, that he thinks he's going to play right off the jump. You know, those are things that usually lead to prospects entering the transfer portal and having these personal relationships ensures that you're not losing eight to 10 kids in the transfer portal after every single class, which leading us back to why we started talking about this was why coaches were clamoring so long about having the return of in-person recruiting. If you ask any coach, they would rather do in-person recruiting than do the transfer portal. I think that we all know that that's the consensus answer. So if there's any answer to your question it should be that right there coaches would rather fill their needs in the through recruiting high school athletes and then bank on themselves to keep them there than have to be like oh well you know we now need a a new right guard let's go get Stuart reese from mississippi state you know that is kind of like a fallback break glass in, in need type plan really um Whereas when it comes to recruiting, you can sleep at night when you uh, have a little bit of depth in your ranks because you've got some 17-year-old to commit to you. Right, and they'll stay longer, too, uh, with the eligibility years. And uh, I, you know, we've got you on for a little bit longer. I want to ask you real quick. Dan Mullen signs a three-year contract extension for $7.6 million per season through 2026, which will make him the third highest paid head coach in the SEC behind Nick Saban and Ed Ogeron. And uh, this was coming off of a big recruiting weekend, actually before the big recruiting weekend that this was announced. What are you, uh, what are your feels on that one, man? You know, that's big for not only Dan Mullen, obviously, but also for Florida, because this was coming out of this off season. I think it got a little bit easier 
I don't even think it definitely got easier to negatively recruit against Dan Mullen. The NFL interest was, was getting louder and louder. There were people that publicly knew that Dan Mullen was gauging how he was considered around the NFL. There were some people who thought that he could be an NFL head coach one day. There are some people who currently think that he could only be an NFL coordinator. Either way, it looks like this is someone who may end up going to the NFL one day. And if you're Florida, where you're putting all this investment into new facilities, the Gator standard, building something, continuity, coming out of two failed coaching hires, looking for the return of the program, the last thing you want is for your head coach to leave to the Jets or or, or another struggling franchise like the Cowboys. <laughs> Just joking. Um, <laughs> I, I love it. I know you do. I oh, had to thank, say it for thank you. you I had to say it for you. But either way, this was it was looking like you were going to be able to easily negative recruit Dan Mullen's current situation at the University of Florida. Whether it was saying, "Hey, he has interest at so and so and so," or hey, Florida publicly distanced themselves from some of the comments he made in the offseason. And, uh, you know, even the far outtakes that were like the lack of discipline based off of Marco's shoe throw, all these other things, this is a sign of health. And and the program is in a healthy place. This needed to get done. This wasn't done recently. It was done after the season. Um, I think a lot of people – you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it, you know, took for granted, but forgot that, you know, these coaches, they bring a whole lot of money into the university and they typically are worth every single dollar that they get and don't have to return any money whatsoever. Yet Mullen and numerous other coaches, not just at the university of Florida, but around the country, all foregoed, decided not to take any of their bonuses last season. So saved the university close to a million dollars. When you look at year-end bonuses, winning the SEC East, coach year-end coaching awards, he, along with uh, men's basketball coach Mike White, didn't take any of their bonuses last year. So Mike Mike and, and Dan Mullen saved the university more than a million dollars. So, when you, you know, that was hardly mentioned when it comes to good PR for Mullen last year. So I, I'm going to have to go ahead and throw it out there. He's going to have a chance to make up some of that money back um, next year with the $1.5 million raise. Uh, so good to see that. I think that that's huge for the program. Um, and, and, you know, it continues a trend that I think really began under Jeremy Foley, you know, Jeremy Foley realized how contracts were going to be used to negatively recruit coaches, whether it was the buyouts, the years left, the, how they weren't negotiated after a certain amount of time. He knew that it was a discussion in, in recruiting and he sought to give his coaches 10 year contracts so that they could say they were under contract for the next decade. He gave one to Mike Holloway. He gave one to Mary Wise. He gave one to Becky Burley. Um, He gave one to several UF coaches. And this was something that, I know that he imparted to, to Scott Strickland when it came to his philosophies and, and Jeremy Foley is still around the program. He is, he still has a presence um, felt in this building all the time. And I, I know that um, Scott Strickland doesn't like doing frequent contract negotiations either. And so he 
seems all in favor of locking up coaches for the next six to eight years as he's now done with all of the largest coaches at the university of Florida. So this was a move that seemed like it was coming. I, I got to say the one move that I, I thought should have been done a little bit sooner, even before this was, and I know it was probably done in January after the Michigan mishap, but for a long time, Christian Robinson was criminally underpaid at UF. I know he had really a prove it type contract because this was his first major really his first major coaching job, a guy just starting out there, but he was making less than six figures, which is just kind of unheard of for one of your 10 assistants at an, an, an SEC job. So to see him making what five times what he was making before, uh, good for him. And that's really going to help Florida's recruiting as well, because you're not going to have to worry about any other coaches saying, Hey, they're not treating him right. He's going to leave next season here. Uh, look what they, um, they're not taking care of him. You know, any of the narratives out there, Florida is looking to dispel them because pretty soon they're going to be the ones that are frequently negative recruiting other teams if they so choose. Right now, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, a lot of other schools can use the facilities argument against UF. Well, pretty soon Florida is going to have top facilities. They're going to have what? Dan Mullen's now the fifth highest paid coach in college football. They're going to have the fifth highest paid coach. Um, they'll have to keep changing his contract if they want him to remain there, but that that's a point aside. They're going to have a lot of things that are going to be tough to knock around the country. Um, and having the awareness is, I think, what Florida fans want out of their athletic director. And it looks like that's what they're getting right now. Hey, Graham, are you aware, is there a buyout in that contract if he were to leave for an NFL job? Uh, I'm not too sure. I know that there initially was one when Dan Mullen was hired at the University of Florida. He initially would have had to, I think, pay it out. Um, I, I don't think that, that, that there is a buyout in it anymore. Um, it, if there is, uh, I don't think it's it's too much money. Yeah, I think that's something that kind of scares fans because all we are basically doing is, is paying a coach more money after going eight and four with generational talent on the offensive side of the ball. And he still has that lure of the NFL with really no real penalty. Uh, am I misreading that? <laughs> I think that if, if you look at the buyout clause, I think that he wouldn't have to pay. I think that he personally wouldn't have to pay. I'm trying to remember what it was at the time. One of the numbers is 12 million. I want to say that, to buy him out of the contract would be 12 million total. Um, which was what he was initially paid for one year. Now that may have gone up with the, the change in the money. It may now be eight. Um, I'm just not too sure on that, but I think the amount of money that Dan would have to pay if he were to take a new job um, would be about 1.75 or, or, or 1.8 million, something like that. It was about, 20% of what his contract was. Um, I, I believe I'm, uh, my memory is, is killing me on this one. Um, but yeah, it, it is certainly something to watch. Um, you would get a little bit of money back if your coach is hired away, they would have to pay you some money back there. A lot of that stuff is settled behind the scenes and we never get the full amounts of what they have to divvy out here. Uh, unless it's something like Muschamp, which we uh, seem to care about the details every single year over how much what UF still kept having to pay him. But I, I think that either way you'd have to pay about $2 million 
um, if you're Dan Mullen, if you wanted to head to the NFL, but that'd be chump change. Uh, yeah. If you really have your dream job, you know? Hey, Graham, before we let you get out of here, I know you covered the baseball team for Gator sports and the Gainesville sun. Uh, it would be, uh, an error, I think, if we didn't at least bring up what happened this weekend. Uh, so I want to give you just a quick second. Obviously, we're going to go a little bit more in depth, but I know you're running out of time. So uh, just give us your thoughts, man. Tough finish for this team. I mean, I really thought that they'd showed a lot of promise. I mean, even going back to the end of – it was, what, the end of April, the beginning of May, when this team defeated Vanderbilt in a series and and – you know, looked really, really good in SEC play. Didn't lose an SEC series for the rest of the, the season there. It, it seemed like after that, that that rough run in, what, South Carolina where they got swept up in Columbia. I mean, after those two months where you saw Jack Leftwich reinvent himself, you saw – I really, you know, give Nathan Hickey a whole lot of credit. I really thought he stepped up behind the plate. I know that he wasn't tremendous when it came to, you know, throwing guys out there, but just think about – how tough that must have been on his legs, how tired he must have been at the end of the season to step up in that role and still hit the way that he was hitting. I mean, it still was getting you two run, two hits um, consistently throughout the weekend. I mean, he did it this weekend here as well, but this is a team that just had too many injuries, too much to overcome. I mean, they would have really needed a guy like Garrett Milchin to step up uh, or, or another arm to be available here, you know, kudos to Jack Lefwich for his new role here, but you know, they really needed someone who could go the distance, you know, Hunter Barco getting what, what lasting, what 19 pitches. Yeah. Third uh, of an inning. <laughs> I mean, 18, yeah. yeah that, you know, they, they just ran out of gas. I mean, this is a team that I did think looked good in sec play, but just got humbled this weekend. Didn't have the, they didn't, get hits when they need it most. They left guys on base consistently. They allowed rebound runs all the time. I mean, it was a disappointing conclusion to a season that had so much promise. And I don't know if it was the weight of the expectations coming off of last year um, after having started, what, 16-0 and coming into this year. But this just seemed like a team that was kind of playing – anxious, timid, whatever you want to call it, because, you know, they were scared of making an error uh, all the time and they didn't really play loose. I didn't really see them have too much fun outside of that Ole Miss series, the Vanderbilt series. And I really thought that the fun was missing. And, you know, we're going to look back here in a few years and have some hot takes and say, well, of course there was no fun. We didn't have any fans and all the other crazy takes out there. But that just sometimes happens. I mean, teams just don't mesh well together they don't gel they have too much adversity to pull it out there in the end and I think it was just a combination of factors when, when they could have needed a little more uh life to to fuel them there there wasn't really that in the crowd and just too many distractions too many injuries uh tough season man and Graham I've got one more question before we uh let you sign off um on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being your, the most confident, uh, 1 being the least, how confident are you that Kevin O'Sullivan will be the head coach in 2022? Oh, that's a good that's a good question. I'm going to go with a 9. Um, go. Yeah, I think he is back in Gainesville with a contract extension. I would not be surprised if – I mean, he already is the longest – tenured coach, right? Isn't he have a, I, I should have included him when we were talking about coaches yeah. with a 
he's got a 10 year contract, right? He's got to be under contract until yeah, 2020, 26, I believe. I think 26. See, I mean, I, they're I just going to have to pony up that. a little more money. I mean, it could be a little more, it could be a little longer than that. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have to pony up a little money, I think, and up the terms here. But if I'm Kevin O'Sullivan, you know, I'm thinking that LSU just is trying to make a run at me, whether that's posturing or what we'll find out here. You know, UF maybe has the leverage in a sense with, if I'm O'Sullivan, you could easily make the case that, I mean, he's rooted here with his family. He's not going to go anywhere. He's definitely sacrificing something to leave Gainesville. But I think that they'll pay him right. I mean, this is the, you know, you you don't get coaches like him walking through the building every single day. The, The place the program is at right now. Um, he just saw that they, you know, paid $65 million for a new stadium. They're going to certainly pony up a, a few hundred more thousand dollars to keep him around and, and also shove it to an sec foe. I mean, LSU and Florida has been pretty contentious in the past half decade here. You can't allow one of your coaches to be hired away by LSU. It, it's one thing for Baylor's coach to be hired away, but I mean, you, you can't have your major coach hired away by a fellow SEC program that had a worse season than you this year. I mean, that is basically just admitting that you are inferior in a sense. I mean, it's a pride thing. If LSU is serious about hiring Kevin O'Sullivan, Florida will be extremely serious about keeping him in the fold. I think he, you know, I would be willing to go say it's a 9.5 that he's back in Gainesville next year barring something crazy in my mind. Absolutely. Well, Graham Hall, thank you for joining us once again here on the Gridiron Growl Podcast. If you want to see Graham Hall later on, tune into the Buddy Martin Show on Facebook. (laughs) Graham, (laughs) thanks once again, man, for joining us here on the Gridiron Growl Podcast. Hey, my pleasure. You guys do a great job. We'll have to do it again soon. Hey, Graham, we appreciate you, man. Thanks, Graham. Graham. All right, I'm going to hand it over to lead man in charge of Chomp Talk, Brian Fox Jr. and Ryan Haley, who covers basketball here for us at ChompTalk.com and baseball for the Alligator. Guys, y'all go ahead and take it from here. Yeah, so Ryan, just to continue the thoughts on uh, baseball this weekend, my goodness. Uh, so they lost the uh, opening game of the regional, and uh, I mean, that wasn't a pretty game either. But then to go out in an elimination game on Saturday against the number three seed in your bracket and to lose 19-1, to one, uh, about the worst thing I think that happened all weekend, despite those scores, was the fact that with a 19-1 to one deficit, Florida endured an almost two-hour rain delay just before the seventh inning. Uh, Ryan, uh, talk about your weekend. I know you were up there. Um, that was, to not mince words, a long day. Um, it was painful. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word for it. Um, it felt like I was having like an out-of-body experience, like watching myself at a funeral. Um, (laughs) no, it was just, it was just pain. I mean, the first like five innings just like, didn't really feel like it felt like Florida didn't have any juice, but it didn't feel like they were like going to get slaughtered. Like it it was four to one until there were like two outs left in the sixth inning. And then that that hit parade started. But like, I didn't really like the thoughts crept into my mind that South Alabama was going to win that game in like the fourth or fifth inning because Florida just couldn't get anybody on base. But like that, 
like the, had the sixth inning, then the seventh inning, and then the rain delay, I think might have been one of the most like depressing two and a half hour stretches I've been at at a sporting event. Well, you know what? It was so funny because I remember we're sitting up there and I look over at Nick and he goes, uh oh. I said, what's uh oh? Like, what's uh oh? It's 19 to one. And he shows me all the workers lining up right next to the tarps. He goes, I think we're about to get a delay. And sure enough, after the next pitch, I was like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding yep. me. Um, that was, um, like I remember some, some guy walked out of like, like the, whatever locker room the umpires are in before the game. Uh, I saw a guy walk out and look at the like home base, home plate umpire and just like do a circle with his finger. And I heard four voices in the press box go, no, like, all at once. I think it was like Nick, um, someone else, like all like, just like, don't do this. Like, please. No. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to like cast fingers or like, throw like throw blame about this at all and i like i'm not saying that unwritten rules of baseball should have been followed if south alabama could have just like stopped like five batters earlier in the sixth inning and then not tried the rest of the game we might have gotten that game in before the weather yeah no i can i, I completely I'm, I'm, agree i'm totally kidding <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I, i'm all for like you know after i think there should be a run rule in college baseball <laughs> it, it works very first, well in although, softball <laughs> I, my one counterpoint to this and like, I understand that it was still 19 to one and that those last two innings really like felt symbolic more than anything else. But like, like once those two innings start, I spent the entire rain delay wondering why are we still here? It's like, what, like it's 19 to one. We know what's going to happen. This team is out of juice. They haven't gotten, they haven't put anybody on base outside of the third inning. And then the ninth inning came and Kirby McMullen stepped into the batter's box. And I was like, that's why we're still here. Like that, like I right. understand, like he popped out, but like, and Brock that's, edge when, it, and, that's yeah. when it clicked for me. Like the Brock edges, the Cal Greenfields, the Kirby McMullins, you don't want them to end their career in a locker room getting told the game is called. Like even, even if it's just that one final at bat. And I think when I saw that, any like resentment I had about still being there and how long the day was kind of melted away a little bit. Cause I was like, look, like I get it. Like we can't like, do I like think that a 19 to one game should go six hours just to give them that one at bat? Maybe not, but like, I don't, you don't want to lose that opportunity if you're a curb and a Brock edge, a Cal Greenfield, regardless, because you never know how your collegiate career is going to end you don't want it to end in a locker room because they decided that your final at bat wasn't worth waiting two hours. And Ryan, I can't, you, like, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head here, man. Um, it was about more than baseball at that point. Uh, it was about an appreciation for what these guys had done for the program. Uh, you know, one thing that was kind of interesting, despite it being 19 to one, despite most of the crowd having already gone, every one of those guys left the field to a standing ovation uh, like I said, despite the score, despite everything. And uh, sometimes it's just bigger than the game. And, and that's one of those moments. And I think you're absolutely right. Ryan, I do want to apologize to you. I should have invited you to go for a walk with me <laughs> uh, during the rain delay just <laughs> to get okay. out of there. I know the, the, the press <laughs> no. box is nice and stuffy, but. Uh, I, I, I took a walk and called a friend and then I listened to a podcast I was listening to on the way back. I, t- I, t- I was texting a friend of mine this Um <laughs> During rain delays, I'll typically look up like stats and stuff. Like I know I went on my statistics binge that one rain delay. I think it was against Ju or Stetson earlier this year, but it was like the seventh inning, 
and I was texting Michael Hull, my sports editor at the alligator. And he was like, what do you typically do? And I was like, I usually look at stats, but I have no motivation right now. Like I try to sit, I I just don't want to. I try to sit next to Julio and just hear whatever obscure stats he's got. It's phenomenal. Actually. (laughs) I think even, I don't even think Julio was talking. No, he went down and walked with me. (laughs) Oh, that's why I didn't turn around. I was like, that's, this is weirdly silent up here. I asked, I asked, uh, I asked Sullivan if he was having fun and he said, no. So, (laughs) so I, I mean, I am looking forward to, I, I don't know if Sullivan told you the same thing, but he told us, you know, we, we can have access to any of the players that are getting prepared for the draft. If we want to do features and stuff. So I am looking forward to those coming up on the website here in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, unfortunately, this team's not making it to supers. Um, and quite frankly, the way they played for most of the year, they probably didn't deserve to be. No, um, they didn't. And then, you know, when you get into the way they've played over their last four games, they absolutely didn't deserve it. Um, the, you know, the hitting was such a weird thing because the hitting was so good all year. And it just kind of all of a sudden fell apart. Uh, like the guys had too much on their minds or something. I don't know what the, um, what the issue was, but one thing that was, one thing that was an issue the entire way through was situational hitting. And and we didn't notice it so much when they were winning nine to one, 11 to seven, whatever, you know, we, we kept complaining about the, the pitching, but the situational hitting was a problem all year. And it really hurt that team in the last, um, the last four games there. It's, really bizarre to hear like to blame the hitting in any way for this team's struggles because it felt like all year that was the thing where i was like this is like what they rely on like they escape their problems through their bats and but i i don't disagree it, like they had it felt like there was a specific i don't want to say like i don't want to sound like i'm like holding a crystal wall i say this but like it sounded like it was like a specific vibe in the air when florida like just wasn't going to come back against the team they probably should be and they had that in the first five innings against south alabama it's just like there's random and i mean again part of that ties back to like when the bats fall flat they just didn't win it, it felt like they lived and died with how they played at the plate and ryan i want to spend just a minute looking forward to next year um, we talked with Graham about, you know, the coach who's obviously rumored for the LSU job. Uh, there's a lot of rumors out there regarding that LSU job and whether or not they're interested. They aren't interested. Who knows? Um, I think we're both in agreement that we both, barring any kind of controversy or anything, think that he's coming back, right? I mean, yeah, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know what's going on in Sully's head or what's going on with with any of those programs. Um, the answer he gave, I think whatever Nick tweeted out, the answer he gave at the SEC tournament was curiously non-committal. But I do think that like, if you ask me to like put money on whatever way he's going, I think he's like going to stay in Florida until it would take more than him being non-committal for me to think that he's going to leave. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you almost think that that might be a, a ploy to try to get a raise or whatever the case may be. Uh, it happens all the time. No. So, but looking ahead to next year, this team's going to lose a lot of the the solid production that they did get. And I, I mean, I looking at it just on paper and just at a at a brief glance, you know, where are they going to replace this next year? And where is this team going to be this next year? Yeah. 
And that's they when I look recruiting class. Yeah. Well, I know they've got the number one recruiting class. Half those guys aren't going to make it on campus. So we can drop it down to five or six. Most likely that happens every year. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fair enough. Baseball's baseball recruiting is always strange. Right. And, and, and absolutely it is. But what I think if, if I'm Sully and this is what kind of makes me think that there's a small chance that he might go, you look at the roster, and and I'm not trying to diminish any of the players. I, I've over the last couple of weeks, I've had the fortune of meeting a lot of the parents of these players. Uh, really, just really good people, and I really enjoyed Have them. You? Yeah, well, you know, man, oh, I, yeah. we're hanging out with the big wigs now. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what? I forgot. Ryan, you should have gone for a walk with me, man. Man, you didn't <laughs> tell me you were leaving. I just looked up and you were gone. Uh, but uh, anyway, so, but I've, I've gotten this, you know, feeling that, uh, you know, there's a lot of question marks surrounding this program. There's a lot of guys that could enter that transfer portal. Um, and, and there's not a lot of positivity surrounding the team next year. Well, if Sully thinks that his cupboards are bare here at UF, Maybe he can see greener pastures. You know, maybe he doesn't see a quick, easy fix. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to suggest that that's the case. I'm just saying when I look at the roster, I see a whole lot of, oh, crap. <laughs> um, I'm actually fairly more optimistic on what the team in 2022 could look like. Um, the weekend who's, who's starts. your Saturday and Sunday starter? That is the one point that I was like, literally seconds from saying like, that's the one part that I am not sure on. Who's um, your leadoff hitter? Uh, mm, leadoff hitter. <laughs> Hold on. No, I, I mean, I think it kind of depends on where you put guys. I could see carry on coming up leadoff If he gets more starting time, I think, I honestly think he should be the shortstop next season. I think I could see Rivera sliding over to the second base and halter playing third. Okay. But I just um, want to throw out there based on just, just that there. Carry on Halter and Rivera, three guys that, I mean, honestly struggled immensely this year. If this is what we're banking on next year, and I understand that we're banking on development and growth as, as individuals and as players, I understand that. But if we're going based off of what we saw this year, that's pretty damn scary, man. <laughs> yeah, it is. But granted, going off of what we saw the year before is what made this team rank number one in the country. Oh, and that was the problem. So, I, I said like, before the year that you couldn't do that. That that was a historically weak schedule that Florida played. And it was also um, it was also what they were doing was historically unsustainable, especially their bullpen. But to that same point, like I just don't like the team needed a bit of a reset after after what happened in 2020 and being hyped up as the favorites for a national championship and like the team to watch. And they needed a little bit of a reset from that. And they, they, I think they really have it now. And I'm not saying we have to throw away the 2021 season, but like, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not like raising an eyebrow as to how this roster is going to be constructed in 2022. I think that a lot of it's going to depend on what guys make a leap forward in summer leagues and fall scrimmages when Sully puts those together. But um, I could see, there, I mean, also you you'll get back um, you'll get back Pogue, you'll get back Nesbit, um, I mean you'll have you have a few guys that played a little bit this year. I mean Mac will be a catcher like most of the time, and Mac's a really good catcher. And Mac's one of the um, few guys that I pencil in and say, all right, boom, we've got him. <laughs> Mac's one of the few guys. Um, I guess I guess the two corners of the outfield are going to have to be Sterling and Kalalau. 
unless you want to shift Sterling over to center field. I think I think they're planning on putting Sterling in center field. From everything I've heard, Sully yeah. and his staff thinks that he's a major league center fielder in the future. Yeah, well, then I suppose you slide Sterling to center field. I guess that leaves, I guess, like left field and first base. My biggest surprise was how many guys were nominated on senior day. Like, there were a few guys that, I would assume have years of eligibility left like Leftwich and Butler that both were honored. And I'm like, Oh, are you like leaving? I didn't think Leftwich and Butler would leave. Well, Leftwich I think is an interesting case because right now he's got more leverage than he would ever have next year. He's almost guaranteed to go undrafted or extremely late in the draft. But I, I did talk to, I even talked to Nick about it. I was like, Hey, what do you think, man? I had somebody ask me about Jack Leftwich cause he could come back, you know, theoretically cause he's got that extra year of eligibility. He says, no, nah, no chance Jack's coming back, which is kind of what I thought. But at the same time, I'm like, well, wouldn't it be in his best interest to come back? Because, I mean, as of right now, going into the draft, he's a guy with no role, right? <laughs> yeah, but, you, I mean, you could look at it in, in another point, too. If you're Jack Lefwich and you, for whatever reason, feel that your time at Florida hasn't helped you raise your draft stock, like – at what like he's done this for three years now he's been at gator for three years and or four even three or four um uh and he really like hasn't had the opportunity or hasn't really grown himself into like the prospect that everyone believed him to be when he first arrived on campus and it gets to that point where if you're jack left which why would you assume that another year in gainesville would be what makes that difference Right, like, and I don't disagree with that, but if it, if it's me, maybe I'm looking at the transfer portal. Maybe that that wouldn't shock me either. I just I, I yeah, transfer portal wouldn't shock me. I just I don't think he's back in Gainesville. I think at minimum he needs a change in scenery, whether it's a different college or a prof- like a minor league team. Look, Ryan, we could do a uh, podcast uh, talking just about the baseball team today. We've we've done a lot <laughs> of it. In fact. Starting in August, we will do something like that, right? Oh, yeah. I, I We will. Are we, are we teasing that? Uh, well, yeah. What's the name of it, Ryan? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, why don't you tell me, Brian? I thought, I thought your idea for that was phenomenal. I thought it was great. It's going to be the Brian Fox Show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. If anybody out there has suggestions for a title for an all sports, all Gator sports uh, podcast, please help us out. We cannot come up with anything. We've we've gone completely blank here. Yeah, Uh, you're 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 banking a lot on my creativity here. It's 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 not like I write or anything for a living. Here's the thing. I gave you the alternate option. (laughs) That's true. You did. You could call it all in with Jake. It. That's that's the that's the ideal one, Ryan. I know you're you're editing over there at um the Alligator this this uh, this summer. So mm-hmm. I do want to ask you real quick about another Diamond Sport. I haven't been on since their season ended over at the softball oh. stadium. Um, man, another just disappointing effort. And once again, it was the bats that that were the reason. That tell me tell me what you know about that because that one was a shock to me. That Georgia, I can't tell if I believe her name. I'm going to Mary Wilson Avant, I believe was yep. the uh, Georgia pitcher pitched all 14 innings and didn't allow a single run over that super regional. That was flooring. And it was really, it was almost like a similar in an, 
in like a micro sense, it was kind of similar to the baseball team in terms of like right before like their super regional, it looked like they were playing with all the momentum in the world. I mean, they've been surviving on walk-offs the entire season. And then I know it was South Florida, but like their regional, they absolutely like ran through everybody. Like Elizabeth Tower had her first no hitter. Uh, they were, I think they won each, like, I don't think they really had any walk-offs. They were playing really well. It seemed to me, and they were playing confidently and then they got to that like last stage they reached and just something like some switch that had been on flipped off. Yeah. I, and I, I don't, I don't really know what that was. I am in tune with how it all went down. I'm not in tune with like following the ins and outs of that team for that entire season. So I can't really sit here and say like, Oh, this person was following a trend from the entire year, but that was well, really curious. I mean, I wouldn't have, I w- as an editor, I was almost, I don't want to say I was penciling them in for the women's college world series, but I, mean, I, almost, I, think, like, I think a lot of people were. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was kind of expecting that a little bit. And at yeah. bare minimum, I wasn't like, it was kind of the same thing with the South Alabama game for me where like I woke up that morning and it never occurred to me that it might've been the last softball game that year we had to cover. Like it just, it never, that idea that they would get swept never really entered my mind until it was like the sixth inning. And someone was like, have you seen the softball score? And I was like, no. Right. Yeah. And even after the first loss, I was like, all right, they'll bounce back, you know, because they did it in Georgia. Mary uh, Wilson Avon, is that what her name is? (laughs) I believe so. She, uh, she had a huge first game when they played during the regular season. Then Florida bounced back, drew eight walks on her, scored like six or eight runs or something. Uh, and I thought that that was the same kind of bounce back effort we were going to see, but the team just looked, I mean, it looked, there was a lot of similarities to the way that they looked to the way that the baseball team looked this weekend. And, um, that's a concerning trend, but, um, Obviously, next year is going to have a vastly different team on the softball field, too. I'm not quite prepared to go through uh, all of that, but uh, you tune into the Brian Fox show, and uh, we'll talk about that next <laughs> next fall. Brian Fox. You're, you're mispronouncing the Ryan Haley show mm-hmm. abysmally. Oh, you know what? Hold on. Let me go look at the credits on the website. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just that's, playing. But uh, That's fine. No, and actually, and I don't want to call it that. So please, if, if you're suggesting that. <laughs> no, no, I mean, else, it's, it's, you, you seem very set on it now. Well, you know, I, I think it has a pretty cool, you know, along with Ryan Haley. How's that sound? <laughs> I was going to say, can I get like a starring role at yeah, least? It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> David, any uh, input on a name for us? Who's going to be the host? Jake? Both of us. It's going to be Ryan and I, and then uh, Jake's going to be your guy, maybe. (laughs) All right. Party with Jake in the evening. (laughs) I am incredibly excited to see what a uh, co-hosted David and Jake podcast winds up like fully sounding like. Uh, We've done it before. (laughs) I understand. I know. Yeah. I I, am. (laughs) <laughs> I saw, I don't know. I'm, uh, no. I, I did see Jake at the uh, South Alabama game. Yep. Yep. He was, he was having fun. Oh yeah. As much as, as much as, life. as much as someone could have in an 18 run loss. Dude, he was at the games today. So uh, that man stayed in Gainesville. I told him, you know, give me a holler if he wanted a place to stay. And he goes, mm, pass. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> he's, the, he's the, he's the world's most interesting man. Uh, you know, I th- that man is pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's the man of the man of all myths and, and 
everything else. Every, every time I see him on Twitter, he's tweeting something I wasn't expecting when I saw it. It's some interesting stuff, let me tell you. <laughs> it's a great follow. It's pretty much absolutely Jake in a nutshell right there. 100%. <laughs> Y'all All right, Dave, wrap us up, buddy. All right, man. That covers pretty much every sport uh, from Brian Fox and Ryan Haley. And, of course, Jake's with us here in spirit on the Gridiron Growl podcast. But I'd like to thank Graham Hall for joining us as well on the Gridiron Growl podcast. And elite recruits on campus, contract extensions, rain delays, down by 18, and the softball team going down to Georgia. All sorts of good and bad weather this week. But even in good or bad weather, you know what we say here on the Gridiron Growl podcast every single week. In all kinds of weather, we don't just stick together, but we also keep it together. Yeah.